been going through the book of Mark, coming to a conclusion of the book of Mark. Wrap it up next week as we conclude verses 9 through the end of the book. But want to look at Mark 16, 1 through 8 this morning. And I need a volunteer. Rachel, you're hoping there's money involved in this, right? Or chocolate. Or chocolate. I have some peas here. My question for you, Rachel, is what can you do to make these peas grow? Plant them. Plant them. And if you plant them, is there anything else you can do to make them grow? So all you can do is plant them. And what must happen before a pea is going to produce peas? Need sunlight? What else? Water? What else? Soil. What's that? Soil. Soil? Okay. Anyone else? What else do we need? Okay. And what must happen? Time? What must happen before the pea will produce other peas? Pardon? It dies. We can set the environment. Thank you, Rachel. Sorry, no money involved. (laughs) We can plant. We can have the environment. We can do what we can. But we can't make it grow. It has to die if there's going to be other peas. What must happen if we're to come to life? In the future, Christ had to die. He had to be buried. And Christ, at this point in Mark, experienced death in obedience to his Father. And in Mark 16, 1 through 8, we read one of the accounts of Christ and his resurrection. Read it together, Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, James and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint the Jesus' body. Very early, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. As we reflect on this passage, please keep in mind, there's no connection available. Please keep in mind that Mark to this point has revealed Christ as unique. He's revealed him as the son of God. 
has revealed him as one who is sensitive to the spirit of God and also one who is able to resist Satan. And then throughout Mark's gospel, Mark reveals Christ as being the son of God, as being unique, as being sensitive to the spirit, as the one who is victorious over Satan. And how does he do that? Jesus taught with authority. He quieted and cast out evil spirits. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed various diseases. He drove out many demons. He prayed. Don't worry about it if you can't get it. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, along with many other items, demonstrating he was the son of God. He was unique. He was sensitive to God's spirit. And he was able to resist Satan. Then we come to chapter 16. After the death of Christ. After the burial of Christ. And notice when this is taking place. The text of scripture clearly says. When the Sabbath was over. Saturday was a Sabbath. In Jewish reckoning. From sundown to sun down. So we would be, or these events would be taking place after sundown on Saturday, but it says early in the first day of the week. So it would be our Sunday, just after sunrise that they're coming. And the when indicates that the resurrection narrative is not an isolated event but specifically related to the death and burial of Jesus. The one who is resurrected is the one who was crucified. Who is coming? The text clearly states Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now notice in chapter 15 and verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joes, and Salome. So at the crucifixion, the women were standing, watching Jesus being crucified and on the cross. Notice what is stated in verse 47. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joes, so were they or where he was laid. Again, the women are mentioned, they're observing where Christ was buried. So what do they do? On the first day of the week, they come to the tomb. And I'm going to share a quote from James Edwards in his commentary as it relates to the women. And they're observing the crucifixion, the burial and then coming to the tomb. And I quote, For the third time, Mark lists the names of women attending the cross, burial, and empty tomb of Jesus. The listing of proper names, so unusual for Mark, certifies on the basis of eyewitnesses the reality of the events described. More remarkable is the repetition of the list, and even more so that they are the names of women. Jewish opinion of women, especially in religious matters, was not always positive. Later accounts verify 
the resurrection by male testimony. The presence of women's names attests to the relatively early dating of Mark's gospel. It also attests to the reality of the resurrection narrative. For had the early Christians fabricated the resurrection story, the testimony of women in all four gospels was no way to go about it. Some two centuries after the gospels were written, the pagan Celsus could need origin on the gossip of women about the empty tomb. The witness of Mary, the mother of James and Joes, Salome, and especially Mary Magdalene, whose name heads the resurrection witnesses in all four Gospels, endows the resurrection narrative with the highest degree of probability. Unless women were actually at the tomb, the early church would have scarcely placed them there since Judaism did not accept accept the testimony of women. The testimony of women is, however, in character with the divine economy. Those whose testimony is discounted in human society are the first to be included in the divine society. End of quote. These women who were present at the crucifixion, who saw where his body was laid, come on the first day of the week with the purpose, the text says, to anoint the body of Jesus. The purpose of anointing was not to embalm or to prevent bodily decay as would take place in Egypt, but to perfume the decaying corpse as an act of devotion. What was their concern as they come to the tomb? Just after sunrise, their concern is, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? See, verse 46 of chapter 15 said, Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So the concern is, who's going to move the stone for us? And I like scripture because a contrast is presented. Mark says in verse 4, but. These women are questioning, who's going to move the stone for us? But. They looked and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. God's at work. The stone is rolled away. So what do they do as they enter? They're expecting to enter the tomb. And they're going to anoint the body of Jesus. That's their expectation. But as they enter, what do they see? A young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. They were going to go in expecting a body. Anoint a body. They see a young man. And what is the result? The text says they're alarmed. There is fear. There is wonder. There is astonishment. There is distress. The same Greek word here for alarm is used in 
chapter 1433, when Jesus was in the garden and the intensity of his prayer. Sweat as it were, great drops of blood. It's hard to imagine that people respond with alarm as described here unless they're encountering the divine. They're encountering an angel. Expecting a body, encounter an angel. You know, sometimes the unexpected results in some alarm. An example of that from my own life. A couple of weeks ago, I was jogging, and it's dark now when I leave to jog, and it's dark when I get back from jogging. And I carry a little flashlight. I have it on sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Depends if there's a street light. And I was going up the road, and I made, made it up to the bridge and turned around and was coming back. And uh, I try to stay on the road most of the time just jogging along and not paying too much attention. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a movement. Alarm. And I thought, ah, there's that porcupine that had been tormenting us at our house for a period of time, you know, eating our deck. But there was an alarm, nothing like seeing an angel, but a quick jerk and, you know, ready to deviate away from it. These women go into the tomb expecting a corpse, the corpse of Jesus, to anoint the body. And a young man dressed in white, that is a white robe, is there. What does he say? Don't be alarmed. Don't fear. Don't wonder. Don't be astonished. You're looking for Jesus, a Nazarene, who was crucified. The living are consumed with death, but the crucified one is consumed with life. What they intended to be a terminal visit is a commencement. And the one dressed in white says... He is risen. The Greek indicates that God raised Jesus. And that power, according to what Paul prays in Ephesians 1, is the same power that is at work within us. The power that was used to raise Christ from the dead is at work within believers. But he goes on, he is risen. He is not here. The angel is establishing the parallel between the historic Jesus that they knew with the resurrected Jesus. The one whom the angel indicates to them to know is the one that they have known. The one who was raised is the same one that they knew and saw crucified and saw where he is laid. Invites them, see the place where they laid him. He's risen, he's not here, but see the place where they laid him. There's the evidence of an empty tomb. But an empty tomb does not prove the resurrection. Some people claim that the body of Jesus was stolen in that day. 
It's not the empty tomb that proves the resurrection, but the resurrection that makes the empty tomb meaningful. Remember, the angel had already announced the resurrection. The empty tomb testifies that the Jesus who died as a bodily being was raised as a bodily being. That's critical. Bodily buried, bodily raised. And that ties in with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our hope of bodily resurrection in the future is tied to the bodily death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an encounter with the resurrected Lord, not an empty tomb that brings faith. Now again, kind of step back and think about these women. They saw him crucified. They saw where he was buried. They go to the tomb expecting to find a corpse that they would anoint. They don't find him. Rather, the announcement, he is risen. And we find another but in verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go. The women are to go. They're to tell the disciples. They're to go tell Peter. And they are to say, he's going ahead of you in the Galilee. Go back to chapter 14 and verse 27. Chapter 14 and verse 27. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you in the Galilee. He's speaking of the resurrection that he is going to experience. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So the women are told, go tell his disciples. The ten insisted they would not deny him. Peter emphatically said, I won't deny you. But go tell the disciples, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You ever hear the phrase, I told you. Jesus is saying to the women, go tell the 11. And he emphasizes also Peter. I told you what I was going to do. I would rise from the dead. I would go ahead of you in the Galilee. And you will see me there. The immediate response of the women in verse 8 of 16, trembling and bewildered. Trembling and bewildered. Expecting to find a corpse. 
expecting to anoint the corpse, expecting to leave the tomb and go back to daily life with a dead Christ. They find an empty tomb. It's announced that he is raised from the dead. And now they're instructed to go tell the eleven. They're trembling and bewildered. They went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing because they were afraid. That's their initial response. Now as we think about the resurrection of Christ, let's turn back to Mark chapter 8. Jesus had told the twelve certain things are going to take place. Mark chapter 8. Verses 31 and 32. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. That's already been fulfilled when we get to Mark 16. Must be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. Already fulfilled when we get to chapter 16. And that it must be killed. Already fulfilled when we get to chapter 16. And after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus had told the twelve, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. And I'm going to come from the dead. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of sin or of men, already fulfilled when we get to Mark 16. They will kill him, already fulfilled when we get to Mark 16. And after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Go over to Mark chapter 10. 32 through 34. Jesus again tells them what is going to happen, and that includes the resurrection. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to go to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and teaches the law already fulfilled when we get to chapter 16. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, already fulfilled when we get to chapter 16. Three days later, he will rise. Go to Mark 14 and verse 28. But after I've risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. What Jesus has predicted is coming true. He's coming from the dead. Now keep in mind the resurrection of Jesus is the evidence, the sign that Jesus was, is who Mark presented him to be. He is the son of God. He stated he would go to the cross, he would die, he would come from the dead. That's coming true. He is the Son of God. It is a sign. In Matthew chapter 12, and we want to turn there, 
we find that some people are asking Jesus for a sign. And what does Jesus say? Mark 12 and verse 38. And again, we're leaping into the context. We won't take time to explain the context. Just prior to this, we have Jesus and Beelzebub. And, uh, you know, Jesus is being accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub. But look at verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And keep in mind that signs for the Jews go back to Deuteronomy 13 and 18. When Moses was talking about prophets, he says, prophets give signs. So if Jesus is a prophet, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are saying, give us a sign. Verse 39, he answered, a wicked and idolatrous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about judgment on the generation and so on. What's the sign that Jesus is who he claims to be? Ties in with Jonah. Three nights, three days in the heart of a fish. And then ties in with Jesus coming from the dead. Christ's resurrection fulfills a sign. He is who he claims to be. He is the last prophet. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. It's a sign. Let me illustrate a sign. Monday evening, Tuesday and Wednesday, Ruth Ann and I went to... Pastors Conference in the Lancaster area. On Wednesday morning, I get up and got my shower and so on, and I can tell Ruth Ann wasn't feeling real good, and I went downstairs and I had my breakfast and brought some breakfast up for her. And she said, Dan, I can't eat it. She said, I'm not going to be able to go today. She said, I got a migraine headache and it's really bad. And when Ruth Ann gets a real bad migraine headache, the best thing you can do is make it dark in the room, leave her alone, don't talk to her, just let her go. So she said, you go. I said, well, I'll call and make sure you're okay, and maybe I'll come back and pick you up between two of the sessions. Well, we only had one cell phone along, so I said, I'll take the phone, and I'll ask at the front desk and make sure I can call you. So as I was leaving to go to the seminar... I said to the lady at the front desk, can I call my wife? Will you put me through to my wife when I call? She said, no. I said, I can't call the hotel and get through to my wife. She said, no. I said, no, my wife isn't feeling good. Well, she said, is she dying? (laughs) I said, no. I guess they were concerned, you know, I'm walking off and something's happening. And then she hesitated and she said, well, if you're willing to give me some secret words, I will let you get through. So I said to her, my secret words are three in one, you know, Trinity and so on. 
She wrote them down. She took that little sticker and stuck it in, I don't know, somewhere that was, I guess, tied in with her room. So I went to the seminar, and after the first session was over, I thought, well, I'm not going to call. I'm just going to go back, you know, and see if Ruth Ann is better. And she was better, and she went along to the second session with me. But if I had called the hotel and said, I want to talk to room 308, she would have said, what's the sign? What's the secret word? And I would have said three and one, and she would have put me through. So here's Jesus has lived some 33 years. He's had three years of public ministry. He has been on trial. He has been crucified. He has been buried. He is the Son of God. What's the sign? He arose from the dead. That's the sign. Imagine the Roman believers hearing the gospel of Mark. They've heard about the life of Christ. They've been following Christ. Some of them are dying for Christ. And they come to the end of the book of Mark and they think, Ah, yeah, the centurion said, surely this is the Son of God. And then they hear about the resurrection, that Christ came from the dead. What an encouragement. Let's go on for God and be faithful. Let's go on with Christ and be faithful because came from the dead. We're serving a risen Savior. Christ, in his resurrection, along with his death, conquered the enemies of death, Satan, the sinful nature, and the world system. God raised Jesus from the dead. Thus the fearful, trembling women are not the end of the story. They do later recover, and they do tell the disciples what is going on. As you think about the Roman believers, you think about the resurrection, this pack of seeds, I planted some of these peas this spring, but they had to die for there to be other peas produced. For you and I to have the hope of resurrection in the future, the bodily resurrection of our bodies in the future, is dependent upon Christ. His trial, his crucifixion, his saying it is finished. But it's also tied to chapter 16. He is risen. Death precedes life. Christ's death needed a resurrection. He came from the dead to die no more. We have the hope of the resurrection. So the Roman believers, some of them died. We'll be raised in the future. The rest of us, let's remain faithful. We today, in light of the world, we don't know what's coming in the future. But in light of Christ's resurrection, be faithful. No matter what comes, we may have an easy life. Be faithful. Persecution may come. Be faithful. Walk with God day by day because Christ arose. Let's sing together a hymn. Be thou my vision, hymn 400 as...
Travis comes to remind us that our vision is ultimately Christ because he arose.